0: Let's take our Bibles and turn, first of all, to Romans chapter 5. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. There will be different passages that we turn to this morning. The title of the message is Peace on Earth. Romans chapter 5 is where we'll begin. As soon as the one angel announced to the shepherds the birth of the Savior, Luke tells us that there was a multitude of the angels who joined in the praise, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. What did the, exactly did they mean by that? I'm sure they were saying exactly what God told them to say. This was the message that he sent. But I look around and I wonder, has there ever been peace on earth? Jesus himself said to his disciples in Matthew 10:34, think not that I am come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace but a sword. And he goes on to explain that he would divide, even within the family, uh, those family members. When a person in the family receives Christ as their savior, the others will will generally uh, reject him. It says there in verse 36, A man's foes shall be they of his own household. In Mark 13, Jesus prophesied that the stones of the temple would be thrown down. The disciples were curious about this end-of-the-world scenario and they asked, when will this be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And he told them that they would hear of wars and rumors of wars, that nation would rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, but that would not be the end. During the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, Rome was at peace with other nations because they had conquered and subdued them. Uh, Roman dominance brought in the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, but not everyone was experienced peace, experiencing peace. The nation of Israel was rebelling against the taxes and the, and the mistreatment by Rome. There was a Stoic philosopher at that time named Epictetus and He said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. Human history has been marked by wars proving that there has been no peace on earth. In 2003, there was an article in the New York Times. It was based on a book entitled, What Every Person Should Know About War. And the article defined war as an act of conflict that has claimed more than 1,000 lives. And the author said, of the past 3,400 years of human history, humans have been entirely at peace for 268 of those years. That's only 8% of recorded history. Someone has said peace is that brief glorious moment in history when everyone stands around reloading. The peace on earth proclaimed at the birth of Christ could not mean that there would never be war or conflict. It must mean then that Jesus in coming would make it possible for man to have peace with God. And he did that when he died for the cross, on the cross for our sins. Point one, there can only be peace on earth when those for those who make peace with God, Romans 5, you're there. Therefore, by being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Before we were saved, we were at war with God. Well, you might not think that you're, you're fighting against him in some kind of an active, hostile, aggressive way. You don't have time for him. That's a proof that you're on the other side. You want to live your life without thinking about God. But if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, you are on the opposing side. You are God's enemy. The Bible says it clearly. In James 4, 4, he says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. In Romans five ten and Colossians 1.21, both say that before we're saved, we are enemies of God. And when you put your faith in trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are justified. The verb in Romans 5.1, therefore being justified, shows an action that took place in the past but has continuing results. We might put it this way, therefore having been justified by faith... We have peace with God. Vine says the tense indicates the definite time at which each believer, upon the exercise of faith, was justified in the sight of God. We come to him lost in sin, and we leave redeemed. We come to him condemned, and we leave pardoned. We come to him guilty, and we leave justified. Another biblical word that describes our justification is that word reconciliation. Both words are used in the same context of Romans 5. Romans 5:1, we saw the word justification. That's to be declared righteous or innocent. It's a legal verdict, that declaration, that decision. And down in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, we see the word reconciliation used, and that's to be made righteous. It's the, the evidence of a changed life. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The word reconciled is also found in Colossians 1.21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. You're justified if you've been saved. You're reconciled. You're declared righteous that righteousness is evident in your life, in that reconciliation by a changed life. What's the means of our salvation? It's here in Romans 5, 1, indicated through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way that can happen. It was his work, it's not ours. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There can be no peace without forgiveness. You may have tried to satisfy that longing in your heart for some kind of peace. The only way to have peace with God is to accept his gift of eternal life. It's made available through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace on earth comes to the individual who puts his faith in Christ alone for salvation. Secondly, peace is promised to those whose mind is stayed on God. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 26. We'll look at two verses there. Isaiah chapter 26 verses 3 and 4, this promise was made to Israel. But as we saw last week, the prophecies of Isaiah quoted by Luke in Luke 2.32, that Jesus the Messiah is a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This truth is here for all nations and not just Israel. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he said in Genesis 22.18, and in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That promise is quoted in Galatians 3.8 in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So here in Isaiah, a song that Israel will sing about the peace that God gives to those who trust in him. It's particularly a millennial psalm. Look at verse 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. Peace comes through this promise to Israel, the promise of peace. What does it say? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. There's seven words at the beginning of verse three. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. And we see in that seven truths about this promise of peace. First of all, the source of that promise. Who gives it? Thou wilt keep him. You won't find lasting peace in anything else. Not in philosophy, not in music, not in uh, exercise and, and entertainment. You'll never find it by escaping through alcohol and drugs. Peace is only found from Christ. Only God can give you the peace that you so desperately need. The prophet said in our scripture reading this morning that Jesus the Messiah would be called the Prince of Peace. He's called the God of Peace five times in the New Testament. You've probably seen the words N-O, God, N-O, peace, and then under it K-N-O-W, God, K-N-O-W, peace. No God, no peace. No God, no peace. Certainty of the promise is the second word, wilt. Isaiah doesn't say thou hast kept him in perfect peace, although it may be true that you've experienced his peace at times in your life in the past. Nor does he say thou art keeping him in perfect peace, although that might be your experience as well. But he says thou wilt. That, that puts it into the future. And those are the things we don't know about our tomorrows, do we? And there is a lot of concern and some tension in our hearts of what might happen tomorrow. Whatever you may face in the days ahead, ahead, you have this promise upon which you can pillow your head at night. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. The security, keep. The picture here in this word is that of a sentry on guard duty. In fact, the word is translated with the word watchman in 2 Kings 17.9 and 2 Kings 18.8. When God keeps you in perfect peace, he is like a watchman, a sentinel, standing on guard, making sure nothing will steal that peace from you. The object of the peace, what is the object of the keeping? Thou wilt keep him. That's a personal promise. You can put your name there for every believer to claim. God will keep you in that perfect peace. Does he give it to everyone? Even those who haven't trusted Christ as Savior? No. There's a prerequisite for this peace that we'll find at the end of verse 3. It's given to the one whose mind is stayed on God. So the next word, the fifth word, in. The duration of this promised peace. Uh, thou wilt keep him in perfectly. It's a continual state of peace. He doesn't put peace in you. He puts you in peace, in that sphere. If it's in me, it's only a part of my life. If I'm in peace, it surrounds me. His peace is always there. The content of the promise, we'll skip perfect, because it's the word shalom, peace. The word shalom is found 208 verses, in 208 verses of the Old Testament. It's often referred, for referring to physical blessings, um, health, provisions, and, it's, and, and it can be used to describe spiritual blessings as well. It's used in Isaiah 32, 17, and 18 in both ways. We won't take the time to look at that. But when you have peace with God spiritually, you'll have peace in every area of your life. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content." That's the peace that God can give in your life. There's so much of that missing in our world today. People want to have peace, but they, they're looking in the wrong places. Even Christians, thinking, oh, this will satisfy my, my heart's desire for that, that calm relaxation that I think of as peace, but only Christ can give it. When you have the peace that God gives you spiritually, you'll understand that contentment. The quality of this promised peace is, the word perfect is actually I skipped that word because the, the word shalom is 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 listed twice, and that's where the translators say there's an intensification of that word, and so they described it as perfect peace. We're not talking about a peace that's temporary, not something that halfway satisfies you when you're going through anxious moments. This is perfect peace. What a promise. What a father who, who knows that we need this peace, and, and so he puts these promises in Scripture for us. How can this promise be ours? The second half of verse 3 gives us the prerequisite for having peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Now, the word for mind is a word that has to do with a form or a frame. It refers not just to your thoughts, but to your whole frame of mind. That forms those thoughts. We might call it a world view. That's a popular term today. The world view affects everything. The fact that you know that God is omnipotent. He can do anything that he wants to in your life. And that he's in control of everything. He's wise. That acknowledgement of who God God is will give you the peace that, that passes this world's understanding. What describes the action of this Frame of mind. It stayed on thee. That Old Testament word for staying means to lean hard upon. When your world starts to shake, where do you look to a place where you can lean? Where do you find your security? E.J. Young wrote a three volume commentary on Isaiah. I'd like to read it this morning. No, and there's <laughs> one portion of it. He explains what it means to have a mind stayed on God. It's a wonderful section. The emphasis upon steadfastness in this verse is striking and possibly calls to mind the fact that the human heart by nature is not stable. It is a mind that wavers and changes with every shifting wind of doctrine for it has no firm foundation upon which to rest. When it reposes upon the Lord, however, it abides firm and constant, preserved in his perfect peace for it rests not upon the changing sands of human opinion, but upon God, the rock eternal and unchangeable. David wrote in Psalm 61, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will rest in the cover of thy wings. You see, last, the, the plan of peace, because he trusteth in thee. In the Old Testament, there are two words that are translated with, uh, or, or thought of as faith and trust. Nyaman is used for, for faith, for belief. Batak is used for hope or trust. And again, it means to lean on, to be confident in something. Batak is the most common word used in the Old Testament it's the word used in our text here we learn to lean on God as an act of confident trust verse 4 is a reflection of what's just been written and it urges other people to respond as well trust ye in the Lord forever for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength literally the Lord Jehovah is the rock of ages Charles Haddon Spurgeon used an illustration in a message that showed how we should resign ourselves to trusting God. A child had been given a ring by his mother, and he he loved it, he prized it. But he suddenly lost that ring, and he, he was weeping bitterly. And as he recollected himself, he stepped aside and prayed... And his sister started laughing and said to him, what's the good of praying about a ring? Will praying bring it back? And he said, no, sister, perhaps not, but praying has done this for me. It has made me quite willing to do without the ring, if that's God's will. And that's as good as not having it. Thus faith quiets us by resignation as a baby is hushed in his mother's arms. Faith makes us willing to do without the mercy which once we prized. And when the heart is content to be without the outward blessing, it is as happy as it would be with it, for it is at rest. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. There's a similar promise that's made to the church in the New Testament. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 4. This will be our last text and last point for today. It's similar to what was just promised to Israel, but now it's to the church. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 7. peace is the reward of those who keep their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In these three verses, there are four things that we are to do in order to have the peace of God. And again, people are searching for peace. And and peace is not found by those who search for it. It's a byproduct of the normal Christian life. And there are four imperative verbs in this section that tell us what we're to do. And this is normal Christianity. What are we to do? Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say rejoice. That means to be, the word, to be cheerful. To be calmly happy. Notice that it's the Lord who's the object of our joy. If we lose everything else, we may rejoice because we still have him. Back at 3, 17 and 18. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Real joy is based on knowing Christ. It is not what he has blessed you with. It's him. The extent of our rejoicing always. That's all the time and in every circumstance. The reminder. And again I say rejoice. Have you ever noticed how people don't need to be reminded to complain? It's easy to focus on difficulties. But here... We're we're reminded to rejoice. Stop and remember. We have a reason to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be content is the next in verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The attitude of that contentment is found in that word moderation. It's a gentleness, a goodwill, a friendly disposition, sweet reasonableness. moderation. The testimony of that moderation or that contentment is to be obvious. It's to be seen by all men, not just those who are in your church or in your home, but wherever you are, you maintain that that attitude of forbearance, of contentment. The reason for contentment, the Lord is at hand. Lehman Strauss says, this may be taken to mean that the Lord is near and he'll provide for his own, Or it may mean that he's coming again personally and will recompense in that day for all that you've forfeited through your gentleness and courtesy here. And both are true. Whichever way the interpretation falls, uh, he is near you and he'll take care of you because he sees your needs. And also he's coming again. The coming of the Lord is near. And so both are true. So be content. And the third, don't worry about anything. Be careful for nothing. I mean, stop being anxious. Stop worrying. I was reading about a a woman who for several years had been having anxiety and trouble sleeping at night because she thought they were going to be robbed by burglars. She, She always thought that. One night, her husband heard a noise in the house downstairs. He went down to investigate. And when he got there, there was a burglar. And he said, I'm so glad you're here. Come upstairs and let me introduce you to my wife. (laughs) She's been waiting for you for 10 years. (laughs) Be anxious for nothing. Ian McLaren says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it does empty today of its strength. It doesn't make you escape the evil." It makes you unfit to cope with it when it comes. First Peter 5, 7 is still in my Bible. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Don't worry about anything. And then, in partner with that is the fourth imperative, pray about everything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Look at the contrast. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything never helps to worry. It always helps to pray. There are four great words here that teach us different aspects of prayer. Don't miss the last two words in verse 6. We bring our requests unto God. No one else has the understanding of what's going on in the details of your life like he does. No one else has the compassion about what's going on in your life like he does. And no one else has the the power to grant you what he knows you need. These four steps are to to be taken. What happens next? What happens when we're living this normal Christian life? God's peace will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The provider of the peace, it's the peace of God. It's perfect. It's sufficient. It's exactly what you need. He made you. He designed you. And he knows what kind of peace that he can give you. Peace of God. The wonder of it, it passes all understanding. This peace is totally foreign to the person who doesn't know God. Others may look at the way that God strengthens you when you face some great trial, and they say, how did you get through that? And you know It was the peace of God, but it passes all understanding. The security of peace shall keep your hearts and minds. The keep here is uh, the the word similar to the watchman in the Old Testament passage we saw. It's a military word. It refers to soldiers standing on guard duty. If you go to Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C., you'll visit the tomb of the unknown soldier. It's called the tomb of the unknowns. It's actually for all that were forgotten. You'll find that memorial is guarded 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, by specially trained members of the 3rd United States Infantry. That is what's called the Old Guard. If you're a Christian, you have a sentinel like that. Always there, the security that we have, the peace. Keeps our hearts and minds. And here I don't think there's a distinction being made between our hearts as we generally think of as our emotions, as our mind, thinking of our intellect. But I think he's talking about the entire inner man. All of you. It keeps your hearts and minds. Through Christ Jesus. Again, he's the only one in whom we can find peace. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14:27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you don't have peace with God today, I urge you to stop running from him. Stop fighting against him. Stop ignoring the Holy Spirit speaking to you, to your heart. Repent. Turn to him in faith. Trust him as your savior. No longer be his enemy, but be his friend. If you're living today with frustration and failure and fear, God offers you his peace. Rejoice in him. Be content with his plans for your life. Stop being anxious about things. Pray about everything. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, I would ask today that you'll take these words from scripture and help us to look around and see people who are at war with you and give to them the message of salvation so that the the battle can be over, the white flag of surrender can be waved, and there will be an acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior in their life. And if there's one here today, I pray that you would, you would work in their life in such a way as to bring peace. Give them peace with you. And I pray for others who are struggling with things today. And we know the promises in your word, but so often we fall back on what we see. Help us to trust you more. Help us to have that contentment knowing that you do all things well. And give us that peace as we, as we rest in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.